everybody, John. Hello. You always make me talk first. It's a standoff every week. Or every week. It's not every week. Every episode. <laughs> I think you like to talk more, so I let you do it. <sighs> you like to be in control. See, it's, this is, it's just a, it's a self-perpetuating cycle. You think that, mm-hmm. therefore, I have to talk more. Mm-hmm. And it goes on and on. That's how this works. Well, John, did, uh, did you go to Dreamforce? Of course not. Did you watch Dreamforce? Uh, I tried to. Um, it was a bit... It just wasn't my thing for a lot of it. I don't know how else to explain it. I was really distracted. I can't really, I can't really say whether it was good or bad. I think for what they had to deal with and putting it on and virtual and all that kind of stuff, I think they did a good job. Um, I just... I was so distracted. And I think that's the problem with these virtual conferences is you don't take time off for them. You just kind of decide I'm going to half work and half check something out and you yeah. end up kind of half end up working and half listening. And it, it's just, it's just not the same. Plus I realized really the, and I think I've said this before, but it's not so much the sessions and the content. I mean, that serves to kind of lay a foundation and kind of announce something and pique everyone's interest. But the real value of the conference is the interactions with people talking about those things or getting other people's opinions and thoughts on those, those announcements or even just networking or just running into someone and grabbing a beer. I mean, that's the value of a conference to me. It's, it's not sitting there and watching a presentation. I mean, I think that just serves as a, as a way to kind of give someone, give talking points or something. Yeah. Yeah. That, that hallway conversation and networking. Yeah. Cause I don't think they were, the sessions were bad and I don't think they were any different than they would be if you were there in person. It's just you, you missed out on the fact that you can interact with people and talk to people and or even just raise your hand and ask a question. I mean, you had the chat thing, but I think that got killed pretty quickly with irresponsible people being irresponsible. Yep. <laughs> what I call them? The LinkedIn vultures? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I thought it was, I don't know. I didn't watch too much of it. I watched the, um, I guess, the big opening thing. Um mm-hmm. I don't even know if I got too much into that. I think I tried and then I just gave up at some point. Well, it, let me, let me actually jump into this because the, I had a, um, our, our friends across the pond at the, uh, the register had a, uh, had an article that was interesting. And the subtitle of it was apropos of nothing. Here's Lionel Richie. <laughs> just like, huh? Lionel Richie? Lionel Richie's performance wasn't that great. I mean, I guess he was like, who was available at the time? Maybe, I you guess. know, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, Okay, come. Uh, okay, sell. So, okay, I, I get it. I, this is weird. I instapaper these things, and sometimes the formatting doesn't come over right. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, Salesforce execs get so bowled over by Dreamforce, the SaaS org's annual gab fest, that they seem to lose all perspective of time and space. Take uh, Brett Taylor, chief operating officer, who, after an hour of jovial to and fro with his billionaire boss Mark Benioff at the conference this week, seemingly experienced a temporal spasm interjecting is this the beginning or the end of dreamforce <laughs> <laughs> i will then, say that they don't play off each other the way oh, he and parker just, does no. and then and but then, at some point he called him parker or something didn't he i don't know I, or so, he said something that made it seem like he thought he was talking to parker mm-hmm. like he just had this like he was in autopilot mode and he's so used to doing this with parker yeah that he said something that that made me think that he thought he was talking to parker anyway benny off y'all this is the beginning I don't, know. I don't know if that was planned, if that was supposed to be funny or something. But then, um, then they say, okay, so Taylor's confusion followed that of Leah McGowan Hare. Is it Hare? Leah McGowan Hare? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, Veep of Trailbuzzer Community and Engagement, uh, who opened a session yelling, We are here! 
multiple times in, in a Balmer-esque fashion. Balmer? <laughs> yeah, like the, the developers. Wasn't that like a Dr. Seuss thing? We are here, we are here, we are here. <laughs> I, I don't know. Was <laughs> it? What's the one with the elephant? Um, Horton Hears a Who. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. we are here, we are here. That's what they chant. Now I think it was more of one of these. Developers, developers, mm. developers, 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 developers. We are here. We are here. We are here. <laughs> uh, she anyway said she did that in bomberesque fashion, just in case the whole audience had lost its collective sense of location. <laughs> Welcome to the wonderful and frightening world of Dreamforce, taking place online and in person by inv- invitation only, during which you might believe anything could happen, aside from a serious discussion about software. The the coded entity on which the firm has built its billion dollar revenues, and that's the thing. I think that's why I don't know. I'm not, maybe I'm the only one, but I these you can sit through the first half, at least the first half of the big opening thing, and like they don't say a first you know, nothing about Salesforce or software or anything. You know, it's crap I care about. It's just it's um you know global economic world economic forum stuff, or it's um you know uh, the, this is all the all the good things we did in the world over the past year you know just that well apple does the same on thing and on and on. They, oh yeah they apple doesn't take as long to do it exactly it's like i don't mind some of that i mean that's that's all good stuff you know like talk a little bit about what you did and how good you are and everything but then like move on and yeah. to the stuff that we're here for so that that you're right that does i think it just i think it drags on too long um okay so benioff says there is a huge change that's going on and we believe that change is is the transformation and evolution and inspiration into the trusted enterprise, he declared before introducing a meandering narrative in which a combination of Slack and Customer 360 would be the inevitable saviors of a planet gripped by a global pandemic and climate crisis. Right? <laughs> it's like the whole world's about to burn down unless, you know, an integration between Slack and Customer 360 can save her. Uh, I, I think that was the consensus of that whole kind of keynote speech. It felt very kind of doom and gloom, evangelical preacher type. You, you, know. you have to tee up the problem. So that people are desperate for a, some kind of some perceived solution, right? I I, I guess. I don't know. And that I solution mean, was what planting trees. I I don't know. That was that was the big solution that they came up with was we're going to plant trees. I, and that's the, I've, I've been wondering if Benioff is going to is going to loosen that one a little bit because you know there's all this newer science and studies that are showing that that's not that's not a good solution. Planting a trillion trees. It's a trillion, by the way. Yeah, but it's it's like the new thing. It's the new tech thing to plant trees. Well, like you, it's not just Salesforce is planting trees. It's everyone's announcing they're planting trees, and I'm like, well, who's planting all these trees and where? Well, there's the, no, there's like this initiative. It's the one one trillion tree. I think there's like one t dot org or something like that. It's like one trillion, and there's all these um, organizations that are a part of it. It's like a, you know, it's like yeah. John. It's a global community. It's um, it's a money laundering scheme. <laughs> you, know, you said it. <laughs> Uh, his profundity was undermined slightly by a stage set popu- populated by bizarre furry characters who look like the dumbstruck byproducts of a drunken late night encounter between an octonaut and a whole gang of go jetters. Oh, come on, that's a bit facetious. I think some of the characters of course, are kind of cute. This is the register, John. Of course it's facetious. That's why I'm reading it. <laughs> uh, but for Benioff, top billing was given to trust the nebulous theme he took into battle with fellow tech CEOs. Uh, at some point, everyone is going to say, wow, this is the source of a lot of these problems. He's talking about Facebook here. You look at what's going on in the pandemic and the amount of information that's just plain wrong on there. And this has to stop. He's talking about Facebook. Mm-hmm. Facebook has to stop because of all the 
wrong information. You know, Twitter and some of these other places have gotten real like, boy, if you don't say exactly what the CDC is currently saying about things, then you get, you know, get shut down or completely kicked off of Twitter. And Facebook's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, let people decide for themselves. And that, that just, John, that can't stand. We've yeah. got to shut down Facebook. Got to yeah. regulate or shut it down. Uh, and then he says, is trust the highest value within Salesforce? Well, we only have their, oh no, this is, uh, this is, this is commentary from the register. Is trust the highest value within Salesforce? Well, we only have their word for it. Or maybe we should just ask the furry forest creatures they love to hang out with. <laughs> anyway, I always like the, the register. Yes, they are very snarky and, yeah. uh, what's the word? Witty and, um, it used know. to be that way. I don't know what happened to us. Yeah, we're just getting old and boring. <laughs> Old and boring. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I, I took this screenshot here when I was on the live cast of the, I guess these were the an- announcements of things. I thought we could just like, go through those. So uh, we have Einstein Data Detect. Yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> okay. This, we should just go through and like, yes or no, have you, do you, have you even heard these <laughs> words before? All right. Okay, let's do that. Dynamic Interactions. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Salesforce functions. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Slack and Einstein automate. Uh, yes. Anything with Slack in the title I've heard of, because okay. that was the entire conference. Okay. I, um, Identity plus. No. no. Is that, is that like a, is that a gender thing or what is that? Gender identity? No, I know. No, I think it's a technology for authentication. Oh, okay. I just don't know. I just don't know. Like what authentication. Means. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, code builder. Yes. I have never heard of that. What is that? I forgot, but I've heard of it. I don't. I don't like the sound of it. But <laughs> isn't that the online? Um, that's the that's the online IDE. I think is what the code builder. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. That okay. Mm, really? They I think call that's it what a code builder. I Weird. think that's what it's called. I, I could be wrong, but I, that's that's what's coming up in my brain. Backup and restore. Yes. Okay. I I know about this just because I I've got another topic down here on that one. Yep. Salesforce CLI unification. Yeah. Yeah. I. I I've seen, I've read, I've read a couple articles about that. They're just, uh, no. well, the first thing they had to do was like, it was this giant monolith. So, like, split it all apart and basically re architect it, modularize it mm-hmm. so they can just move forward better and have a better architecture. Yeah. But then, but now they're like bringing stuff back, like unifying. I don't know. Is it like Heroku's and Salesforce's and, or just the, I don't know, were there multiple CLIs? I mean, there were, but I'm, the, what comes top, top of mind is, F- SFDX being pulled into the SF command line interface, which also services the functions. Okay, so uh, I've never technology. used SF, I guess. Maybe that's why I don't yeah. appreciate this. Uh, DevOps Center. Yes. Okay, yep, we've heard of that. Flow Orchestrator. Yes. What is Flow Orchestrator? Uh, it's, it's almost a way... You know how Marketing Cloud has journeys where you can kind of create these steps for a lead to go from one to here, but it's all... Um, it's not all happening at a single point in time. Like they do something and that triggers the next step of the process. And you do something that triggers the and next they step see where you are and that each person on the, they yeah. can zoom in on you and see it's where kind you of are. bringing that into flow so that you can kind of create your own version of that where you can say, okay, this record is in this state. So assign these tasks or do these things. And then the record moves to this other state. Now do these things and it's re- or launch this flow or all mm. those kind of things. I haven't gotten too much into detail, but that's the hype, the high of it. Okay. Uh, Salesforce professional services and signature success. No clue. What in the world is that? I don't know. It's GA though. Yeah, it's it's available. They've always had 
professional services though? Is this just like just their new like? It sounds like that's a product team. Uh, I think it's. I don't know. That's a good question. It's it's available. They're available for purchase. This team of people apparently. I mean, Salesforce is if Salesforce if if their professional services group was a, a if they spun it off, mm-hmm. it would be the biggest Salesforce consultant in the world, consultancy in the world. I don't know about that. Um, I I well. I always, and I haven't done this in a while, but I used to, I mean, we can look at their, uh, uh, this most recent financial report, because they, they break out their professional services. Let's see. Mm. What are we in? Uh, fiscal year 22, Q2? Mm-hmm. Let's see. Here we go. Um, revenues. Okay. Uh, let's just call. I'm going to annualize it. It's two. There are two. Is this two billion? Yeah, two billion dollars a year in revenue of professional services. Really, Salesforce. Yeah, that's a lot higher than I thought. And this is interesting. Quarter over qu- quarter, it grew. Wow, thirty-seven percent quarter over quarter. Oh, but we've got to keep in mind all the different technologies they've acquired and how that probably gets lumped into it. Like the, the you, think soft you think they're putting those in a professional services? And Tableau. I'm sure they're lumping all of those professional services into one bucket yeah. under the Salesforce umbrella. The, the Salesforce implementation professional services team, I've always known to be pretty small and they augment it with partner um, outsourcing or contracting into their projects. Well, they also it was, buy. It was they, always kind of like a necessary evil for large enterprise companies that said, we want you to handle our implementation. Yeah, and if you um, what? can't wait to get a new computer. Oh, I can't hear it. So, if you look at um, what was I going to say? Now lost my train of thought. Um, partners. I mean, like Salesforce. I mean, they're, they're still. I mean, look at even just like local job listings for. I mean, Salesforce is the biggest hire of around here. Uh, maybe that's why we can't find any employees to hire. <laughs> Salesforce is taking them all. No, everyone's trying to hire. Although we've, no, yeah. we've seen quite a few members of the GDS community hop, hop over to the Salesforce side of That's things. true. Speaking of which, we, we can't let it go unmentioned that Stefan did a killer, killer demo. I mean, he's like now, I was just texting with him the other day about this. I mean, he's, he's going to be like Mr. Dreamforce demo guy now. He did so well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean he was honestly, he was the first, I, I, I sat through so much of that and he was, his demo, and this is not to to um you know diminish his demo but it was the first thing of substance in the entire dreamforce was his demo i kind of felt the same way but i i don't know if i wanted to temper my reaction to that because it was probably the first one i actively tried to pay attention to Mm -hmm. um i did try to pay attention to the other ones at the start of them but when they kind of got long-winded or they weren't getting to the point or i could tell nerves were kind of getting in the way of of their message it kind of lost me and i you know i have stuff to do so i was working um, but I, I did make a concerted effort on his, and and he managed to keep my attention. So that, that's definitely a success, a success I think. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> and he's like his own man shop. He's he's vertically vertically integrated. He he not only does he <laughs> yeah. do the demos, but he he builds everything. I mean, it needs coding, it needs UI stuff. It, you know, he just he can he can get the exact demo he wants because he can do it all. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think we're gonna be seeing more of him. Well, um, 
yeah what i mean what else about dreamforce so i don't think we've talked since then right no we haven't um i don't know that i have anything from dreamforce that i wanted to talk about i mean it just, did you get your disney plus for free i didn't even try it. i already have disney plus oh, oh yeah you know which means you're not qualified for the free one the, from salesforce you couldn't yeah. be an existing member customer whatever it's called. They, they keep changing their their service terms as well they they the package that i originally signed on with disney plus didn't have ad-free content, but now they have a package that does have ad-free content, so I mean, I, I don't know. I, I I pay for way too many services individually, I think. So Disney Plus has ads? Uh, no, they, there's like a ESPN Hulu package that you could get, that you can oh. get. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think now it offers ad-free, but when I first signed up for Disney Plus, I got a bundle of that and Hulu. It didn't have ESPN at the time. And it it had all ad content. And you couldn't you couldn't upgrade to ad free, um, and basically, I had to cancel both services. Wait a month for that month to expire on both services before I could re-sign up and get non-ad free stuff. Yeah. It was the craziest thing. But yeah. that was early on. I think they've ironed all that out. I canceled my Disney a while. I feel like we watched everything my kids wanted to watch, and then was like, hey, "I'm looking up with some new show they want to watch. I'm just going to cancel it because they weren't watching it." Um. So yeah, I was looking, kind of looking forward to my. Um, you're free. Yeah, I just it. I got the email, and then when I, I the same one everyone else got that they a lot of people a lot of people had problems with this. Never just never could get it um, because you click on the thing, and then oh. um, it takes you to some screen where it's just not there. It's just not there. There's no. So I'm not. I'm just not going to get my Disney Plus. I guess. Yeah, they're still working all the kinks. Something like that. I'm I'm sure I'll get an email pretty soon. With, oh, sorry for the for the glitch. Here's your Disney Plus membership. <laughs> Now you're gonna get a text message that says, "Oh, we're sorry for the outage. Click this link." <laughs> this is not phishing, I promise. Yeah, they've gotten really bad and really creative lately. The fishers, yeah, yeah, with these very personalized, like like bad know, as in they're getting AT &T, good at it. Like 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 they know I'm on IT and T, so they're like, "Oh, we're sorry about the outage. Click here to get a credit on your account." It's like, no, yeah, that's not how this works. Yeah, we've gotten some of those too. I think sometimes they just guess. They're like, we'll just send this. They don't know if you're with AT&T or not. They're just, yeah. they're like for the third of people who are, then, you know, those are your targets. You know, I can absolutely tell something's a scam is if they either send me something or start talking to me in Spanish. Do they assume based on your name? Or yeah. what? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Like anybody that knows me knows I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> it's, 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 it's an embarrassing part of my life, but uh, <laughs> it, it also saves me whenever I get ads or, or, mail or someone calling me trying to speak Spanish. Yeah. I'm like, oh, sorry. And I know you got my name off of some registry somewhere or something. Yeah. But yeah, you don't know me. That's racist. Yeah. Just because you have a Latinx name. I'm fine with it. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> There's a show on uh Disney Plus actually since we're talking about that. It's a it's a National Geographic on Aztec. I love all that all that old stuff. But I couldn't watch it because it's part of their uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. But instead of saying Hispanic Heritage Month, they say Latin X. And I was like, I'm not watching this. And it's just in the advertising. It's not in the show itself. It's just the advertising. But it was enough to turn me off. I'm like, I don't, I don't, play, I don't want to play this game. Yeah. It's, I, it's Hispanic Heritage Month. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> ugh. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah, I still, I've got a couple of... Um, couple of the actually probably more than a couple of the dreamforce videos that i still have bookmarked to go watch uh, i have not had time to go back and watch any of those yet but i need to 
I, I, I think there's some good stuff in there. I am. Um, there's a couple. There's I know at least a few. The Apex one and a couple others. Yeah, I feel like I'm just turning into a dinosaur. I used to keep up to date. You know, I used to write a blog. We we did this show, and I felt like I was preparing to talk about technologies and stuff. And I just I can't seem to bring myself to have the time. By the time I'm done with work and my kids' activities, the idea of sitting down and brushing up on my JavaScript skills or brushing up on my Apex skills or learning what the hell functions is and how do I set it up? I mean, I, I just physically can't do it. You're, you're at peak parent also. You're like, yeah. neither of your kids have a driver's license yet. Yeah. They're in way too many activities. You know, <laughs> yeah. every time I tell somebody about my kids activities, like I, in my back of my head, as I'm talking, I'm like, they do a lot of stuff. It is a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. You should make them pick. You can do two things at a time. It's going to get to that point. Um, my daughter... When I mean, you hate to have to do that, you know? Yeah, after this year, because she's still in middle school, the next year she'll start freshman, and we know that that's going to be the year where she's going to have to pick, uh, which sucks, because I want her to be active, but she's going to have to either pick band or, or uh, sports. And unfortunately, you can't do both in, mm-hmm. in our school district. Okay. That, at that point, they make you pick. Yep. And so she's going to pick band, is what she said, so... She'll be doing that. She'll, she'll do some rec stuff outside of the school, but it's not going to be like school sports. Yep. And math, my son, we'll, we'll have to see what he does. He's, he's both very intelligent and very sports-driven. Okay. And competitive. Um, so I don't know which way he's going to go. Hmm. Usually, usually you can do sports and, you know, obviously academics, right? I mean, I, I'm sorry. I meant musical. I said, okay. I said, <laughs> I said academically. Um, musical. I mean, he's really, he's got an ear. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's almost does detrimental to his lessons. Can he just lessons. like sing on pitch perfectly and everyone and stuff? He d- he does have. I'm not going to say he's perfect pitch, but I'm going to say he does have an ear to where he can play something and know when he's hit a wrong note, which means he's not reading music. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of detrimental to his lessons. But uh, one, uh, my my uh, his grandfather, they went to his house for the summer for like a week, and he their piano's out of tune, and my son knew it. Or the, everyone knew it. Yeah. But he, he, uh, what do they call it? He shifted his hands. He shifted the notes till they sounded right. Mm. Um, transposing, I think is what they call it. Well, it must have been, oh, okay. To yeah, the keys he transpo- that were, he just transposed, transposed the key. Yeah. yeah, he transposed the key. <clears throat> and I was like, oh, he's got a damn ear. Yeah. I guess he's going to have to be in music some, yeah. at some point. Oh, that's, that's good. That's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, one of our, our older kid, he can, um, he can, oh, he's in band. Mm. But he can also sing really well. Like, I mean, well, he's not a, like a, necessarily a great singer, but when he sings, he, he just nail pitches. He can harmonize really well and everything. It's like, do yeah. some auto tune on that kid and put him out there. <laughs> some auto tune. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> no, we're trying to keep him doing the band thing, but we'll see. Anyway. Uh, okay. Well, is that all the Dreamforce stuff we have? I get it. Let me, let me do a couple, let me do a few clips here. So, um, uh, Roger recommended that I, or he recommended, he dropped this podcast episode. It was one of these, like, Kara uh, Swisher. You mm-hmm. know who she is? No. She's a, oh boy. Um, she, <laughs> she's a journalist. And we all know about that. Right? Keep in mind, these aren't <laughs> real journalists, Richard. They're tech journalists. And, and I, I oh, she re- the one that interviews she, Benioff? Like, yes. She okay. really epitomizes this, okay. this yeah, tech journalist thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. 
who does she, she used to be like Wall Street Journal. Now she's like, is it New York Times or something? I don't know. She's, she's definitely like, you know, she's, she's peak tech journalist. Mm-hmm. But she's, um, you know, she's just too good of friends with her. I mean, she's, she's completely captured by the people she's supposed to be covering. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I've, you know, I, how many interviews have you heard of her with Benioff? And I don't think a hard question ever gets asked. It's just like uh, friends catching up. And it's like, that seems okay. to be where they all go. I mean, I guess this I mean, is the Kramer and, and I know. I guess this is the gig nowadays. Like this is what we this, this is what journalists are. I got another. What's my, what's our other journalist thing here? Let's see what it's so like. much for the journalistic integrity. There you go. <laughs> <clears throat> hey, we're trying to sell licenses here. Jamie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're let me, trying to do right by your stock. Yeah. So I, I just I gra- I've grabbed a couple of clips from that that I thought were interesting. Let's see, uh, probably should find a better way to play these. Hang on a second. Afraid I might be able to pause if I just get lazy and do the quick, quick, what's it called? Quick look? But we're, oh, let's try this one. We're rewriting the front end of Salesforce to be entirely Slack. So- let's just pause it right there. Front end of Salesforce to be Slack. I mean, he said that before, but I mean, he, he's kind of, he keeps, he's really, I mean, I, I thought at first that was just like, he was just off the cuff, like kind of overplaying their hand on, <clears throat> on things. But I mean, he's, he really keeps saying they're rewriting Salesforce. For the Slack to be the front end of Salesforce. And I'm going to continue this because he gets more specific. So at our Dreamforce conference last week, our sales cloud and our service cloud, which is kind of our core, they're just Slack. They just look like Slack. So specifically, sales cloud and service cloud just look like Slack. I wonder if so. How do you go to your how do you go to your your list view of contacts? That's called you know my new contacts this week. Do you ha- you go into Slack and you type you know slash my new contacts? How do you if Slack is your interface to these things? Then really, how I, I'm I'm really struggling to understand how this is going to work. That's because and, you're, you're trying to take. And I'm face am value. I the only jackass in the in this world that's actually taking him seriously? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we all saw the demos. We all know. And it's not the first time he's he's kind of overextended the reach of the technology that they've implemented. I mean, even even what was it CPQ when they implemented that, and it was the first lightning all lightning app, and it was like that he'd ever seen or whatever. No, yeah. it was the first uh, yeah, ever ever true. built. The yeah. entire application was built on lightning. I'm like, no, it wasn't. Yeah, everyone could see that it wasn't. <laughs> oh yeah, remember they called him and did a demo, and he was so impressed. Yeah, right. Remember that? Yeah, <laughs> like when. So he's he's just up there doing the song and dance. He, he but he's getting more specific, you know. Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. And then our marketing cloud, our commerce cloud, our platform, our analytics—that's they just look like Slack. Mm. And he's using present tense too. So is he? I mean, this is built, and he's just seeing this in like a in like a beta environment or something. I'd really like to know if anybody out in the community has gotten a client going. Uh, I have Slack, but I can't get my Salesforce record to load. Well, and the other thing is like, okay, think of how many organizations, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands use Salesforce, a lot of them very much in a business critical way. Sure. Is there, I mean, I haven't seen a single one that's been screaming from the rooftops. You know, you can't, you can't do that to us. Like we bought Salesforce, we've customized around Salesforce, we've extended Salesforce. You cannot pull the UI rug out from under us and replace it with this. No, I've literally heard no one saying that. So that means that no one's taking, no this, one's serious. taking this seriously. Yeah. yeah. Thus, he gets interviewed by Kara Swisher. So it's basically <laughs> our new, it's our new user interface. And watch, she's, she's really going to, I'm sure, ask him some tough questions about how real this is and yeah. what the details are. Nice. 
and, and how, how customers are feeling about that. And we're trying to amplify that. And for a lot of our core products like service, the ability to like swarm a case, this is really cool. So like, you know, there's a major customer service issue. We're doing the incident management. We're doing the escalation correctly. We're doing the case management. And then with Slack, now you're just able to swarm that case with your team and solve it together. And I think it's very powerful to add collaboration. And it's funny because we talked about that in our 2016 yeah, interview. Yeah, I thought you were going to buy Slack. And it was, took us a while to kind of, kind of get there because we were kind of bumbling through other social media companies. Sure. We wrote our own. Growed, we growed our own. Is that what he said? Yeah, I think he said growed our own. Media company. Sure. We wrote our own. It didn't get as far as we wanted it to. So he's talking about chatter. Chatter, yeah. yeah. There was but other I, I want to know, <clears throat> does Salesforce eat their own dog food? Because um, I've never heard of a Salesforce support team swarming on my case, my, my developer issue. <laughs> <issues. laughs> you, you don't count, John. Um, You're in, not. Fact, in, fact, in fact, it's only been recently that, that uh, because someone complained that they're going to start supporting Flows because traditionally Flow was a developer tool. Yeah. And they don't support developer tools. Right. <clears throat> I mean, what's next? Are, are, so we're going to get swarms on, on for, flows. Our formulas, f formula fields, developer tools, our our reporting, no. our report um, formulas and no. bucket bucket. If you can't build it with a button, <clears throat> then it's developer. I mean, buttons on my keyboard. No, you know what I mean. Okay. So we tried to buy that we got pushed away from. Okay. Now what's he talking about here? Hang on. Wrote <laughs> our own. It didn't get as far as we wanted it to. There was other ones that we tried to buy that we got pushed away from. He's talking about Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. Because you remember, but Chatter was kind of bridging the world of data and social. That was the big thing, was we're going to socialize your data. We're going to bring your data into yeah, the social. You say social, it's like internally though, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's more, I, I, I would call it more like visibility, internal visibility to like records and communication around records. Yeah, but I mean, what, do you, what do you think would anything? happen if they bought Twitter and incorporated it? What would it look like? It'd probably it probably wouldn't look like. It wouldn't look like, it wouldn't work, which is why the investors didn't let him buy Twitter, but. I think the idea is that it would look like Slack. I mean, not Twitter that what, would look like Slack. The, I mean, the, their merging of Salesforce and Twitter would look something like Slack. Yeah, I, again, can't imagine that. I mean, Twitter, for most of its existence, has had a, just a hard enough time getting their technology to scale. I just mean the idea of it. I'm yeah, not yeah. actually talking about practicality or what their vision is. I just think if that had happened, the the win scenario would be that it would end up looking something like Slack, yeah. where you where you have this. But I I don't I don't know that Salesforce could have built up a Slack product. I think Slack the success of Slack oh. and Salesforce's merger is due to how successful Slack is in building their product and allowing certain integrations their their app marketplace. Well, that's an interesting topic. So you're saying you don't think Salesforce could have built Slack internally? No. Is that just because, uh, I mean, that's an interesting topic in general, just not, not specifically even about Salesforce, just once companies reach the size where they're, they're really more protecting their cash cows than they are innovating. It's like, can, can they really innovate internally the way they need to anymore? Yeah. <clears throat> or the way that, they, you know, the way that a, a scrappy startup who's, you know, they're still on venture funding, right? And mm. it's, it, it's, they're always shooting you know what's swinging for the fences they're always swinging for the fences they don't have anything to protect you know, whereas salesforce has this big thing to protect now and well, so I they think, can't they can't 
you know, because if you swing for the fences, I think I think the idea behind that metaphor is, you know, you're going for the whole thing, but because you're swinging so hard, you might also just strike out instead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's possible for larger companies to do that, but I think I think the problem is is they they already have a they have a predefined perspective on what that tool could potentially do in relation to all their other products. So when you say you want to build a social platform, you end up going, well, oh, mm-hmm. social platform. Well, let's include our, our data notifications. Let's include yeah, yeah. all this stuff, this other things, where, where Slack was solely focused on building a team communication platform. So you're, and that's everything they did was geared towards that. So you're so, saying, look, let me see if I'm understanding right. You're saying they basically... People cannot escape their bias. Right. Yeah. As much as you'd like to. Mm-hmm. We, we just can't. It's just, yeah. it's. I mean, it's only natural when you're, you're building and you're investing more in a product. The, the easy way for a large company to kind of get more funding to continue to build out this, this shot, this moonshot, we'll say. Yeah. <laughs> is, uh, is to try to tie it in with other products and saying, oh, well, we need to invest more in this because if we integrate it with this, it can do this. And if we integrate it with this, it can do this. Yep. Well, Slack has to do the same thing, but they're focused purely on team communication. So their world is very narrow. So they're able to kind of build a more best of breed team communication platform. Whereas something developed inside of another company has the risk or potential of being diluted by all these other interests that are attempting to fund it or make yeah. it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> right, there's a little bit left on this. And then we ended up with this you great company. You did buy company. one before that, right? What's that? You did buy one before that, I thought. I, I don't even probably. Remember. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I thought that was hilarious. That was just the tail end of that clip there. <laughs> you bought something. Yeah, I probably bought I, something. I don't, I don't he's know what like, I, 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 I can't keep track can't of it. Track. No, no. Ask Brad. Brett's, <laughs> Brett's running the company now, so ask him. <clears throat> uh, Speaking of Brett running the company, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to have to keep, I'm going to have to pop all these stacks, but let's see. Where did I, um, did you see that? Yeah, it's uh, your first line item under the picture. Oh yeah, there it is. And um, I've been noticing I, this is this is a few days ago. I just yeah. saw it today though. Um, there's just a so Salesforce gets a notice in wake of possible CEO transition report. Salesforce was in line for some possible tension on Wall Street. This is supposedly Monday, flying a report about a possible CEO plan. Um, oh, and a giant UK pension fund buying up shares or that institutional investors. Um, let's see. The information reported, that's your place, that Salesforce President and Chief Operating Officer Brett Taylor has been telling some of his confidence that he expects to be appointed CEO of the company in the near future. Uh, Two people with direct knowledge of the matter confirmed Taylor's discussions about assuming the CEO role from. uh, Now, I will say, Kara Swisher asked him. If um, something about like if he ever wants to be a co have a co CEO again or something and. Mm -hmm. Kind of danced around it. I think it's because it, I think the plan is now is like, no, no more co-CEO. It's just. Yeah, I think that whole co-CEO <coughs> was him wanting to step down from CEO, but the investors wouldn't let him just because he's so, he's so critical to the. Well, I think the plan was for, what was the guy's name? The ex-Oracle guy. I mean, I, they're Block. all ex-Oracle guys. Um, Keith, Keith Block. Block. Yeah. And that, I think that was planned for him to be. For, give him some time as co-CEO, let the yeah. everyone warm up to him, including investors. And then. Then we'll make the announcement. It won't be that big of a deal, right? 
Well, that didn't work because I think he just probably for personal reasons. I don't even know what he's doing now, but I think he had to. Uh, well, I think I heard him say he retired or something. I think he retired. I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's very yeah. nice. <clears throat> but I have been noticing, and I, uh, a lot of articles about um, Brett Taylor, um, almost kind of hyping him up, talking about his his rise and and you know his how he's been put put up front more often and and his strategy and his plans and how when it comes to certain major events within the company that he's the one that's that's tasked with with uh, kind of handling that or communicating that with with the company. I, I mean, how do you think that? I mean, I, you know, hmm. it's 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 probably unfair to compare him to to Benioff, but I mean, how do you think that's been working out? Well, I, I actually I see all these articles as fluff pieces, uh, as targeted PR to to kind of warm everyone up to the idea of him being CEO. Here's this guy who 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 came in through acquisition and and has has been growing within the company, and he's done all these things, and he's 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 basically critical to the day to day operations of the company, and so that when it gets announced that he is, everyone's like, oh, well, yeah, of course he is, yeah. He's already been doing that for yeah. years. Okay, I've got another short clip. As an example, I am an investor in a company called NCX, which is doing uh, climate offsets through AI. How do you offset through AI? Uh, John, we've invented a new technology. You can, you can burn away all your carbon sins if you just uh, do some AI. Oh, you just you get uh, Bitcoin offsets. That's what it is. Or... Uh, <laughs> Uh, NFT offsets. That's what it. That's yeah, what yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. Mm. Amazing how they come, come up with these creative ways to uh, improve your ESG score. Yeah. <laughs> you follow this ESG thing, John? Only, only a little yeah. bit. I'm not really into it. But <clears throat> environmental, social, glo- was it? Yeah. What's the other one? Global? No. Uh, ESG. Meaning. What is ESG? Environmental, social governance. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's like. <clears throat> That's some, that's some world economic, uh, economic form stuff right there. Governance, glo- you know, global governance. <clears throat> Sorry for the, that's my allergies. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I get this. I mean, I need, let's, can I go with you to get your shots today? <laughs> get, get, an ex, get an extra for me. <laughs> you want to be down and out for the rest of the evening. <laughs> oh, at least it'll be. They always to, make me really tired. And I, at least it'll be due to shots and not shots. Thumb down. Oh, I <laughs> get it. See what I, I did there? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I can't handle shots. <clears throat> oh, I'm too old for that shit. No, I, I, I can't handle alcohol, period. I, I had, I'm getting there. Honestly, I haven't I'm getting been there. drinking at all. And like, I th- it was something last week or something. I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have a little whiskey, just a little ice, a little whiskey. That sucker hit me so freaking yeah. hard. <laughs> I was like, I'm done. <laughs> now I'm, I'm getting to the point now. I'll have like two beers or two glasses of wine. And I mean, my body just, it, even in in the moment, which I'm glad it does, is telling me to like just stop. Yeah. Um, because if I if I push past that, have like three or four over the course of an evening or something. I mean, I just pay for it. I don't sleep well. I feel bad the next day. Yeah. And I I don't know, man. It's it's weird. I'm definitely hitting some age. Yeah. And I'm also at the same time though because I, I I'm taking my health more seriously, especially now that gyms are back open and like all this COVID crap. Right. Like I got to get back to life. I got to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I've been trying to, um, I'm in the gym two or three times a week, trying to eat better, trying to, you know, lose some weight and to see if it, cause I mean, I got, I'm kind of worried. Like I, I know I'm, I know I'm, you know, mid 40 ish now, but I feel like, I don't know. It's just, it's weird that if, if I have more than two beers, I, I, it ruins my next day. That's just weird. Yeah. I don't know. Weird tangent. Okay. I have to make uh, this is an important announcement. I'm just going to say, um, 
we're, we're about to have something explicit. It's, not, it's nothing you've never heard on the show before, but just if your kids are in the room or whatever, skip forward or cover their ears. But I got, this is a, this is one, it's going to go on the top row of the soundboard. You ready? All right. Fuck them. <laughs> Where did you get that from? It was in the ad interview, the Kara Swish interview. So again, thank you, Roger. <laughs> I need more context. In what context did he say that? Oh, it was when, it was when. Or was in, it selective no, editing? You could, you could probably guess this. No, it's not selective editing. It was when um, Indiana, um, what was it? They had something that was like, um, oh, oh, you, you could, if you ran a cake shop, you could not do gay weddings if you didn't want to do gay weddings. They were going to make that okay, basically, yeah. you know, in yeah. law. And, you know, Benny Alf's like, oh, F them. We'll just uh, leave the state. That was the context. <clears throat> I was, what I was going to set up was that she asked, uh, Kara asked Benioff, she's like, hey, you know, there's this, there's this long-running uh, podcast, uh, this, guy, this guy's John and Jeremy that, that talk about your company, and, you know, they're, whatever, they're like, they're supporters, and they, um, you know, they're developers, and they're really into your thing. What do you, what do you think of those guys? Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The sad part is probably not too far in the truth. <laughs> no, we, he's we, not even aware of us. Oh, sure he is. Doesn't know we exist. Th- th- he does. He remember does cause remember what he said last time they asked him about us? Those guys are great, aren't they great? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've oh, really man. fallen then. Yeah, yeah, we have. You know, we went we from being great have. to just... Oh, know. yeah. Yep. All right, John, let's get to your topics. But you did so well with yours. We did, like... Now we're in second half of show. Yeah, and th- this is the this is the part where I try to talk about actual coding, but uh, I don't know. Let's talk about some coding. Let's get nerdy. Nerdy. That doesn't happen here. Let's anymore. get nerdy. Uh, I can talk about. Well, I, I can't really talk about this, but I do want to mention because it's a bit of a vent because I've been dealing with it, and it's the the second generation packaging for Salesforce. And I don't. At its base and its core, I like the idea of it, but as soon as they added that code coverage requirement, which I understand why. Because with second generation, there really was no requirement to validate that you ran all your tests and they all passed. With first generation, there wasn't? Or with second generation? What do you... With second generation, there wasn't. I mean, you'd oh. basically create a version and I don't, I, don't, okay. I don't even think it was validating at all, but... I thought you... I thought in order, as a part of the, the package release process, it ran your tests and you had to have 75% coverage or better. It does now. I don't think it did before or there was some other mechanism because the, pro- mm. the problem is it's, it's virtual. There's, it's not tied to an org. With first generation, you have an org so it basically would take your package, run it, and run all the tests in that org. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once it validated, it would create the package. Well, second generation, there is no org. It's just source. And you tell it, here's all my source. And what it has to do is it has to stand up a scratch, uh, install all your dependencies, install your source, oh, and then okay. run the test. So you don't give it a dev org to release out of it. No. Oh, okay. I didn't know Which that. Which I wish you did. Uh, I kind of like, like the idea that it's, it's they spin up a completely fresh scratch org. I kind of like that. It seems I, I do in pure, theory. more pure. You know? I do in theory, but but <laughs> the thing is, but I, I'm trying to be careful how I say this, which is why I'm stuttering. Uh, so we do a lot of work with EDA and MPSP, and we extend those packages um, in our packages. And the problem with me moving to second generation is that those packages have gone rogue in terms of how they install and manage uh, all of their metadata, basically the application. The application doesn't exist as a single package. It exists as a combination of managed packages, 
um, just straight out metadata, yeah. not even package metadata, just metadata mm-hmm. that it just loads. Into what do we call mind. that? Loose, loose metadata. Loose. I don't know. Something. <laughs> it, it, so it has all these things that it does through no fault of their own. They're trying to work. They're trying to build a product and do things to work around Salesforce's own limitations when it comes to packaging. Um, so things like record types and things that that later on in the road, when you want to change them or move them or uninstall something, it causes a lot of issues where you just can't do it. Um, so to mitigate some of that, they do have some of these other packages that either add functionality or or pre-fill uh, an org with some basic metadata that it then kind of installs over. Um, and s- because of it has its own installer to do all that for it, for itself, mm-hmm. um, either through their command line interface, the Cumulus CI, or through the, uh, I think it's called MetaDeploy tool that they have that you can use. If you, can, uh, you Basically, you tell it, I want to install the MPSP package, and it does all the work of installing all those different packages for you. Um, because of that, when I do my second generation package, I can't seem to get it to go through because I have to make sure all the dependencies are there. Um, and this is, this is I, I, I brought up this concern like years ago when they announced kind of, yeah, because I feel like this 2GP thing has taken so long to come to fruition. Um, yeah. This was the concern I raised, and it's like, it is, tr- is these transitive dependencies. Like they, there needs to, the system needs to resolve and, and handle those. Or, or you're going to have to have things like meta deploy and meta install and, and what is it? Install.salesforce.org, all this stuff, because the, the native facilities are not sufficient. And yeah. so there's all these band aids because stuff doesn't work. Right. It's not, it's not, you can't, again, back to your, okay, in theory or not. Okay, maybe in theory, but like in practice, I mean, in real world with multiple applications and packages extending other packages and all this stuff, like the system doesn't, it just, it's not enough. It doesn't, doesn't solve the problems yet. Yeah. And I'm not sure how they get from, from where they're at today to, to that point. In my head, it, it, it seems like it would be helpful, but this might just be addressing symptoms versus the, the problem, is having enough hooks to where I can say, okay, before you stand up this build org, uh, let me run this command so that it can pre-populate some things. Or, and then before you install this dependency, let me run this. It seems like I need all these hooks or these steps, some kind of pipeline in the, the second generation package build that lets me... I tell it exactly how things need to be set up so that we can get a successful test run. So. Can you give me just a concrete example of like what, cause I am having a hard time understanding like what that might, what one of those things might be that has to be done like manually, either manually or, or some kind of automated way. What, like what needs to be done in order for something to be able to install or for a test to be able to run? Um, it could be anything from, uh, if you do your test right, ideally it shouldn't have any of those dependencies, but I'll use this ED example for as as an example. Um, one of the first things that package does is it installs a bunch of account record types. And in our package, because we're extending and enhancing EDA, we created a dependency on but those. You can package record types. record types, right? Why don't they package the record types? Because they're trying to avoid creating that hard dependency on those on those record types. Because once you create data against those hard record types, you can never in- uninstall that package unless you get rid of those records that are attached to that record type. So, but again, it, it, that's just one example. Yeah. There's a lot of, and I ran into this with, with 
the previous company I worked at that had packages and record types, it's a pain. Now we are creating record types in our package and I'm, I'm just going to have to deal with that. They're just, you can't change certain things. You can't. That's future John's things. problem. It's future John's <laughs> problem. Um, if you have a record type and a client doesn't like it and doesn't want it, there's nothing you can do about it. It gets installed. It's there. You just have to kind of control and hide it and stuff like that. It's just, it's just one of those things that just makes it weird. Also, if you get rid of all record types, it's, it's an issue anyways. Um, so anyways, our package has it. So I have to make sure that uh, there is an unpackaged thing now. I think it came out in the last release or the release before that, where you can say that I have a bunch of metadata that needs to get installed, but it's not packaged. And that's where I put those record types. Um, and Edith- What's the downside to that, though? And and by the way, how do you, how are you how are you specifying this un this unpackaged stuff? Is that part of two GP? Like you can say there's also this other stuff that my package refers to, but it's not a part of my package. You can do it through the command line, or you can specify it in your project config. Pro- what project? The there's a there's a package config file where you specify all the features and things that your package supports. So actually there's, there's a couple of files. There's your project file, um, which has things like your, your namespace and your dependencies and, and all that kind of stuff. And then there's also a, uh, org definition file that you can pass it. Yeah. That, that you can say, okay, my, that scratch org or this package depend needs an org that has, that's enterprise that has uh, default record types enabled, has chatter enabled, has communities enabled, all those kind of features. Um, so there's two different files where you can kind of specify that and kind of get it to. to do those become do those become like metadata of your package, or is that just for when you're the developer working and you go to spin up a new scratch or and knows what to create? That's ideally what it was originally for, and then it's now being in now it's being used to create these orgs where it has to be able to set everything up and run your tests. Okay. So when you package one of these two GPs, it includes those files, those like those project. It reads it off your hard drive to, to set up the org. Does yeah, like the the packaging stuff that installs. Okay, the, the whole thing you talked about, like when you want to do a release, mm-hmm. it takes your code, it spins up a new scratch org. Mm-hmm. Is it is it actually so? It's reading like the I forget what the file the exact file names are called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, it's reading them off your hard drive. Yeah. So it's so it so you have to give it what a GitHub or a Git repository of some sort that has cer- these, these certain files in in place. No, it's what? just part of the command line. You tell it all this stuff. <clears throat> okay. And of course you can automate it and just say, build, build me a QA, build me a dev, which I have not done yet. So it's very mm. keyboard intensive yeah. for okay. me, but that's just the way it is. Yeah. Some things will never change. Uh, you know, I want to automate, but I don't have time to sit and automate. And I don't have time to sit and think about how I want to automate it or what technology I want to use to automate it. There's just too many choices. There's too many things to do. I, you know, do I do I go full GitHub and actions and all that kind of stuff, or do I do some local build thing? Well, how do I get everyone? If or it's just me right now, but yeah. if you start developing, how do I get you on board with this? And it's just it's a process. Yeah, and it's a process that software companies take the time to do, but we're a consulting company, and yeah. I just don't have the luxury of being able to sit down and saying, okay, we need to work on our our DevOps process here, so we, everything can run smoothly. I just don't have that luxury right now. I'm balancing project work with package work and home life and everything else. It's just got a lot. Yeah. I always just have the philosophy of like, I mean, my, my rule is that anyone or anything should be able to check this out from whatever repository it's in and 
it's basically a single button like build or or run like, and whether that that's point. like whether that's you know that's a java project and you you know your your maven palm is set up you know and everything works right and set up right i mean if, i don't know what you call that if that's called automation i don't really consider that automation but it's because it's not like um it has nothing to do with like github actions or any of that kind of crap yeah i mean there, there's there's people listening to this podcast screaming cumulus ci because it'll do that for you especially given that we create dependencies on ida and mpsp it'll do all that for you um but it does it best with first generation packages um i don't it says it supports or there's things that you have to do to support second generation um but even right now i'm not sure how well it's supported and mm -hmm. I, i'd hoped that with all of our newer packages that i was developing i'd be able to sit them on second generation because there's no at least not yet there might still be in the works there's no transition from first generation to second generation yet right so my thought was we're moving forward with new stuff we're building from scratch we have new namespaces let's make them second generation yeah namespaces. I think that... but now i'm starting to regret it mm, i had to I actually know. admit yesterday that if i can't get this past this one issue that i'm having um i'm gonna have to turn this into a first generation package I, I hear the, a lot of the ISVs complain that they're they're stuck with their first generation and they're irritated that they can't transition to second generation. So I'm, well, the grass is always greener because there's still problems. I, I can't get my change tracking to. I, I screw up my change tracking all the time. The SFDX change tracking? Yes. Really? With my org, I get I get so far into my updates and other people's updates, and I'm not sure how it happens. Or I I, I download some metadata and. and and just refactor, move it into my unpackaged directory because I need it there. Mm -hmm. Or for some reason, it down it starts downloading native fields into my... <sighs> I've seen I don't this. know why it does that, yeah. but it does that. So I start removing a bunch of stuff. <laughs> well, that becomes a change that it has to delete or now attempt to delete. <laughs> yes. And now I'm like, oh, crap. Well, now I got to... <laughs> so then I try to reset my tracking. Well, everything's reset. And then all of a sudden, all these things that did change aren't in my source. And I'm having to do manual diffs. And I'm just like, I've screwed it up so many times. I've done... Okay, I'm killing this scratch org and creating a new one and yeah. pushing my source so I can reset my change tracking. It's just there's something wrong there and I don't know what it is. It's probably me. It might be the tooling. I don't know, but it happens frequently. Yeah, I mean that is a hard problem. That's the whole sync problem. Yeah. I mean it can change on either side and yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, ignore files have gotten a bit easier since they've done the the version two. It's kind of crusty. You have to put a comment that says this is a version two force dot com mm. ignore. Yeah, but at least it follows the the GitHub syntax because I was having a hard time or GitHub Git syntax. Uh, I was having a hard time um, with the mental differences, and I I don't even remember what the differences are now because I've been doing V two for a while now. But there was like just certain ways that you could ignore something in the old generation that didn't quite match up with Git and now oh. it matches, so I have an easier time with it. I think it makes sense for them just to go along with whatever Git does, because that's obviously that's what everyone's going to be familiar with. That's what yeah. kind of everyone's mental model of how you set up an ignore file. Yeah, it seems to work better, although I think there are still some things that show up on status, even though it's ignored. But if you run the pull or push, it, it ignores it. And I'm not sure why that is. Why status can't match the ignore file. What, what status? Uh, you can do a get uh, similar to you can do a get status to see your differences between your your server and you. Um, you can do a uh, SFDX uh, for source status okay. and see the difference between your environment and your source. I oh, gotcha. That's what I was wondering if you were talking about get status or yeah. SFDX status. Okay. But yeah, for some reason, DX status shows you what's in ignore in certain scenarios. Like some things it will ignore and other things it 
doesn't ignore and you just have to know that when you do a pull it's not going to pull it even though you see it in the status I think it's like profiles or something that usually shows up there. I'm not sure, but hmm. it's weird. Um, I read this article. Um, actually, it was more of a Reddit post, and a lot of times the the title gets me more than anything, but this one's kind of interesting. It's about reading, reading skills of code. Uh, this came from a conversation on Twitter where someone said, I can't say this enough. Uh, you will read more code than you write code. Learn to get good at it. Yeah. And I think that's very true. Uh, but then someone added, yes, and possibly even more importantly, learn to write code that is easy to read. Uh, and yes, easy to read code is often harder to write. Uh, do it anyways. Uh, and I, since I'm a subscriber of clean code, I think I do think that's true. Um, but there are some points in here that I thought were interesting. Uh, one of the points that was made is it's wrong to assume someone wrote unreadable code. And this is all within the context of write clean code. Mm-hmm. And if you don't write clean code, then you wrote bad code. Um, but this is something I had to learn to do over time. Um, as a consultant, I would often have to read or improve or someone else's code or some other agency's code or, or the client's code. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to be very critical of it. I used to be, oh, this is crap. They didn't know what they were doing. And that was my immediate emotional reaction to it. But I had to learn over time um, that that, I didn't understand the circumstances it was written in. I didn't understand the experience level of the person that wrote it. Um, Everyone's got different styles. Or even how the, prog- how the project progressed. Because mm-hmm. if I look at some of, my, some of the code I've written, I'm trying not to say my code. If I, <laughs> if I look at some of the code I've written, um, without context, I'm like, what the hell was I thinking when I wrote that? Why, why did I write it that way? Why did I do it that way? Sometimes it was, I learned a new trick and I'm trying to apply that trick everywhere I can, which happens yep. to this day. Yep. Um, or there were so many cl- changes. The project was so volatile with changes that what I thought was going to be easy to maintain ended up not because I had to either shove in new code or move code somewhere else or add code somewhere here and try to call it or call something from multiple places that I didn't intend for it to be called in multiple places. Just those kind of things were just kind of spiderwebbed and trying to look at it a week later, a month later, it was just like, I have no idea what I was thinking. Yep. And even with those fresh eyes, I'd be like, oh, why didn't I just do this? It's simpler. But at the time, that's not how it progressed. No, that's, you don't, that's, that's hindsight's 2020, right? Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, you know, you, it, you, you think you want to go from A to B, but you sure as hell don't know how you're going to get there. Right. And also, the other thing that's guaranteed is B is really not your final destination. It looks like it is right now, but really, like... Z7 is your final destination because that's how many, you know, that's just the way the world works. And yeah, just plan to refactor a lot just to keep that code clean. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we're better at that than we, or sometimes we're not as good as that as we, what you want to be. Or sometimes we don't have the time or, you know, pressures or priorities. And so, yeah, you always have to have some grace when reading other people's code. Yeah. Because you don't know what they went through. Right. That being said, there is a lot of just shitty code that you're gonna have to read, and you know that there's no there's no excuse for. It. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true, which is why I still subscribe to Clean Code. Um, another point that was made is that read- readable code is subjective, and seeing how, especially in this last month, where I've changed my um, code styling, I guess you've changed your code style. Yeah. Ooh, we've talked about this uh, because we're. 
we're attempting. Are you writing it right to left now, or we're, <laughs> we're attempting to synchronize your style with my style yeah. so that we have something consistent? And which means I've migrated to having two tabs, or I'm sorry, two tabs. <laughs> yeah, two tabs. No, two spaces. Two spaces. Okay. Um, eighty. You... I think I'm at a hundred characters. Where I used to be at 120 characters. Okay. I did try 80 for a while, but I thought, oh, yeah, let's go with 100. That's 80 that's looks so narrow, man. The problem is. I had everything figured out to a T. Like I could, I could write it and it would look beautiful at 120 because I just had so much muscle memory with it. And I like naming things the way they're supposed to be. Yep. To me be, too. But that means long names. It does. Yep. And when everything Char- you write. Carriage returns are your friend. That's, so I have a lot of carriage okay. returns yep. and I'm trying to figure out, okay, do I have an equal on the same line or do I have an equal on the second line? Because my, my new, my, my class uh, instantiation name plus parameters is just way too long. And then I've got all these indents. So I'm having to deal with seeing the code I write in a different light. It does or look seeing different. It yep. In a different way. It is readable. And I, like I, I think I mentioned this before, eye fatigue is less because I'm not having to travel so far and I can read it up top, top to yep. bottom. But there are things that bug me because my naming scheme is so long it forces a lot of these indentations that I don't like to see. It reminded me of that story of when I had prettier force down my throat. And at first I'm like, this is the, <laughs> this is a disaster. This is a monstrosity. And then I went and looked at their website and kind of read their philosophy on it. I'm like, you know what? I think I could get used to this. I, I get it. I get why they do this. Yeah. It's not, not, not necessarily perfect. It's not necessarily your style. But here's why like, this is a, what's the word compromise or a just, a line in the sand that we can all rally around. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and it's, it's not bad. It's not like a, a terrible style and it's not ridiculous by any stretch. Right. So as long as you learn, once you learn just to get accustomed to it, th- then it's, it's easy to read. But until then, it's kind of hard to read. Like when it you is. change your code style, but at first you're like, oh, this is kind of, this is just not your eyes, your brain doesn't track the way th- through code that, it, that it's used to. And it, you kind of have to reform those pathways in your brain, like to track when you're reading code to kind of track down the screen differently. Yeah. You yeah. get used to it, though. And it's for the better. But even with, with agreeing to a certain style, there's still going to be differences. I mean, the, the, what you call something I might not agree with. Or, or here's, a, here's a perfect example. Um, you are empty line phobic. <laughs> you write all your code, and there's usually not a break in between each code. It's just all one, one block. With, within like a, within um, a, function. a function? Yeah. You know what? And I almost treat things like sentences yeah. and paragraphs. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of spacing. I'm okay with having uh, variable declaration, empty line, variable declaration, empty line, because to me, those are two distinct. Now, if they're grouped in declarations, meaning they're going to serve a function together, I'll group them. I, mean, I do too. I'll, I'll do that. But, I mean, everything's got spacing, and to me, that makes it more readable. It does. It does. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll do things like... Um, Let's say in a test, in a test method, um, if I go to like, like once the test is run and I'm in the kind of the assertion stage, mm-hmm. like maybe I'll go query some data that, and then I'll, and the assertion for it will be directly under that. And then if I, and if I'm doing that three or four times, because I need to insert a few different things, then I'll, I'll group those again. There'll be a space between each one. Mm-hmm. So I'll do stuff like that. Yeah. You know? But you probably space more than I do. Oh, I space the hell out of it. And it probably just depends on what day also, because you probably looked at some code, and for some reason I was not in the spacey mood that day. Um, <laughs> and then, I, but I've got, I mean, I'm just thinking I, I got to imagine you're, because this was Apex code, you'd written yeah. some stuff for me. Um, mm-hmm. 
I got to think your your Apex code looks completely different from your Java code. I think it probably does look different. I mean, different language. I mean, they're. I know they kind of. If you squint hard enough, they say Apex is based on Java. They're they're really not even close to the same language in yeah. a million different ways. Um. So yeah, I probably do write them completely differently. And also yeah. depends on what I'm writing in Java. Like the way I do, you know, integrations is going to be different than the way I do like a web application or like a REST. Um, implementation or something i just i don't know it's weird yeah i mean that's just that's just part of it but yeah i I always like to talk about you know how people code i like to try to be somewhat empathetic about what someone was going through at the time and i i try really hard not to crap on someone's code like i used to i mean i really used to be pretty blunt about it did you look at that um apex was it apex code style I, i think that's what it was i think it was specifically apex right I think I've looked at those things before. I don't have no, any- no. I created and I, I put a decent amount of time into that. Um, I, oh yeah, I kind of begged and borrowed from like Google's and some other some other um, style. Yeah, that's what I started transitioning um, towards. Okay, yeah. But anyway, that was. Uh, I mean, I like that's not my like. Oh, this is how we're going to do things. Like that's how. Like, hey, here's a starting point. Let's like figure out how we want because you know we're getting bigger and there's you know there's going to be more people writing code and everything. So like, let's figure out what style we want as a as a team. Yeah, yeah. I've pretty much already configured my IDE to kind of fit most of that. Um, I, I still have some things that I need to work on in terms of how I name things or how I regionalize things because I, I think I'm the only one that probably likes to regionalize my code. Oh, put regions in it, yeah. so you can call. Yeah, I don't do that. Well, I mean, I don't do the official regions because I don't like the collapsing the entire collapse. I still like to see the method names. The problem with regions is it collapses the entire region. And you can't even see the method names. So I just have a oh. single comment that denotes the region. And then if I collapse everything, you know, down to the method names, I can still see the region and the method name. And mm, that's okay. I do that a hundred times a day that I collapse everything just to kind of navigate my way through class files. Again, this is where I will say command F12 is your friend. I think I tried that and it didn't do what I thought it was supposed to do. I wish it like remind me like somewhere on the Zoom. I'll just sh- because like if, if you're in like a let's say an Apex class, um, mm-hmm. I'm assuming it does this. I'm sure I'm sure that's the way IC is implemented. But yeah, if you're you do F12 or Command F12, it's gonna give you that. It's basically like every me- just a list of every method. And what's mm-hmm. great is with most of these like search list things in IntelliJ, you just start typing and it immediately starts filtering that list of things down. Yeah. So if you do have a class that's got a lot of methods, shame on you. Um, then y- yeah, you can just like type a couple characters and it just it immediately filters them down to that. So you, and then you just arrow to the one you want and enter and you're boom, you're there. It's, yeah. So those kind of tools are pretty great. You know, you said that, but I, I, I do try to minimize how big a class file is, but at the same time, I try to minimize the number of fra- classes. I, this, this, I, I, <laughs> I try to minimize how fragmented that, that, lo- that logic gets with well, too many class files or too many call outs and things like that. And also just, you know, the limits with in Apex and Salesforce is, you know, there, there's really pressure put on you to not create a lot of Apex classes. Um, there's just such a cost. I've kind of just been creating Apex classes as I want. Um, so right or wrong I've been trying yeah. to not restrict myself because I think I was too restrictive and I might be too unrestrictive now and I'm trying to find that balance when, when you get I mean in, in orgs it really doesn't matter that much until, unless you're in orgs that have um, you know at least hundreds of classes if not into the thousands that, that's when I mean th- that's when if you didn't have a lot of discipline on your path to that point Mm-hmm. Boy, you are in a world world of pain that you probably should just quit and go get another job somewhere. 
because you're not going <laughs> to fix it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, all right. So I have two topics, but I think we need to wrap it up. Um, so I'll let you pick. We can talk about, uh, what was it? Perfect Git commits. <laughs> mm. um, or we can talk about this uh, community topic, which was talking about um, creating facades or wrappers for S objects. Mm. Let's, do the, let's do the Git commits. Maybe we can save the other one. Okay. Unless you have a preference to do the other one. Um, no. Okay. I mean, that, that's a topic that I think will stand the test of time. It's not very critical. Oh, but I do want to mention one thing, which is you guys might have noticed in your uh, dev console, if you're using Chrome, that they're trying to get rid of the sidebar that has the, the uh, list for errors, info messages, those kind of things. In fact, you could probably do it right now, and you can see there's a message that says this is planned for removal. And I thought the way they did this was, was very interesting. Because uh, they announced it in the console saying, hey, we're thinking about getting rid of this thing. There's some kind of bug or some kind of performance issue with it that they're trying to that they're trying to decide, do people actually use this and we need to address this issue? Or can we just get rid of it and create a whole new filtering mechanism? Um, do you see it? I'm waiting for Salesforce to load. Sorry. Oh, it's not a Salesforce thing. It's a Chrome thing. It's a oh, browser thing. I thought they said dev console. Oh, you're talking about the dev tools. Dev tools. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Do you see the message? It, unless you've updated, it might may or may not be there anymore. But so I'm in there. Brave, but I think Brave is just, it has the text. It's like Chrome, oh. right? So, um, Does Brave have it? I haven't tried Brave, but... It, it, it is Chrome. Um, which, so... So which go sidebar? into your console tab. Okay. And there should be a sidebar with messages, and you should see a message above it with a link to an issue tracker, which is what I like about what they did with this. Doesn't look like you're seeing it. Maybe I don't know what to look for. I don't know. I don't even have that sidebar. Oh, okay. Well, then you've got to... Oh, hang on. Let me let me show it. I just have it hidden. Oh, yeah. This sidebar will be removed in a future version. I wonder why. Well, like I said, you can go to that issue tracker and they talk, they talk a little bit about it. Apparently, there's some kind of bug or performance issue when the number of messages gets to a certain size. Oh, okay. Um, so they basically want to scrap that and rewrite a whole new filtering system for it. Uh, so they they pre they announced this within the console, and then they linked you to the issue tracker, so you can give feedback and say, "This is what we're thinking. What do you guys think?" And they they inevitably got a bunch of responses. A lot of people said, "Yeah, I'm I'm fine with you doing whatever you want," but there's a, a fair amount of people that said, "I use this. I can't live without it. Please don't get rid of mm, it." Okay. Um, and so as of I think the twelfth, which was what last week, um, they said, "Yeah, we're not going to kill this feature. We'll we'll work to improve it, but we're not going to kill it." Um, so I thought that was really interesting way of handling this and and allowing the community to kind of have some input on it. Yeah. So that is cool. So if you see that message, don't worry, it's not going to go away. They've decided to not get rid of it. So I'm sure in the next release that message will go away or something. All right. Let's talk about git commits. <sighs> yeah, so git commits. <laughs> so what was the t- topic? What's a perfect git commit? What is a perfect git commit? And I, I think that's more of a question. I'm going to use this as kind of a springboard to talk to you about what is a perfect do you want to do you want to okay so do you want to get into it and start explaining something or would you like my before you even get into it would you like to know what i think a perfect git commit would be Mm. let's go with what you think a perfect git commit now this article doesn't really go into this is the way you should do it this is what this is what makes a perfect git commit but it has some talking points so let's let's just start with you and see see i I definitely don't have a big answer to this because i I haven't 
wasn't prepared, you know, I didn't think about it, but um, I think one of the most important things of a good commit is um, for a commit to only be one change. You implemented one thing, you fixed one problem. I, here's, here's, because here's the problem if you, when you start mixing things is, you know, you'll see a commit like, oh, implemented this feature, also fixed this bug and upgraded to, um, you know, Java version 11.7. Well, what happens when we need to roll one of those three things back? Now you're, if you, if you, if you had your commits broken out, it's much easier. You've got a much better chance that you can just, you can negate a certain commit. There's tools and get to do that, right? Um, mm-hmm. And also just, I mean, when you're going through the log, which is a tool that developers just, you live and die by, going through that Git log. You really want, I mean, you need to see those get, and those commits. And also, like, you know, because you might want to branch off of a certain one or whatever. I mean, and just anytime you, you're kind of aliasing a bunch of different stuff together, it just, you're really kind of, you're, um, you're, you're diminishing the power of these tools by doing that. The other thing is, like, a get, is the commit message. I don't know if that, I don't know if this topic covers, it includes the scope of the message or not, mm-hmm. the, the commit message. Yes or no? Yeah, actually, you're right on point with this article. Okay. Uh, the first point it tries to make is why clean and granular commits matter. Granular, that's a good word for it. Um, yeah. Fine grain. You want fine grain commits. Right. And then it talks about the composition of better commits, which gets into um, having clear and concise comments to go along with that that commit. Yeah. Um, There's weird rules for commit messages. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about commit messages yet. Or yeah. Not, but. Like so, one of them. One of them is this is a widely accepted rule: is that the um the the first line. So one weird thing about git commit messages is that the first line is special. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like it's special when you're entering the message, unless you're using some tooling that gives you a separate text box for the first line versus the others. But just when you're in, I mean, most tools, and I think that I, I'm always just on the command line. Um, it's just a big text string. But the first yeah. line of a git commit is special. But because of the way that Git and other tools break that first line apart as like the, it's almost like the title of the message. And then any subsequent lines are like the body. Oh, you can expand it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the first line is special. It's, and it's supposed, here's the thing. This is hard too. No more than 50 characters on that first line. And I forget the reason why. Yeah. And in fact, this actually talked about um, two line, I'd ease the support two lines, one being, certain length of characters and then there's a full full body description so yeah so first line should be no more than 50 and i wish i could remember the rule for that i don't and then subsequent lines i think it's it's either 70 or 80 um i think i try to keep to 70 because for some reason there's some tooling that after 70 starts getting dicey but yeah so a good and obviously a good summary in that first title as much as you can fit you can only fit 70 characters so it's it's that becomes challenging that's almost as like hard as naming a variable or something it's like oh my god how do i fit a good summary of this commit i'm committing in 70 characters <laughs> especially when sometimes because there's sometimes other products have other rules sometimes it's like you know the, the title of the uh, the first line of the commit has to be uh, um like a bug number oh. like you know advancement dash 17623 well there goes 10 characters colon and then sometimes it, you have to put like if there's if this project has components like it's like kind of in the sub products then sometimes you have to have the sub project name and then like a colon or dash so there goes another 10 character now you're down to yeah 30 characters that you have to to summarize this commit well that just works <laughs> very hard have more granular well commits 
That's true. It's a good point. Um, I, I think from from my practical experience, um, because I've I traditionally started out doing one big commit, so I would make all my changes. Uh, and then I would just do one big commit and I'd say, I don't know, I, I changed a bunch of stuff as my message. <laughs> so yeah. just, um, I, I, I do try to limit the text of the commit message to about a sentence and I try to be as descriptive as I can. So the text, you mean the first, what do you mean by the I text? I only do one line okay. commit message always. Oh, really? I, I never do multiple. Oh. Um, it's rare if I ever do a multiple line. Hmm. Um, because I was trying to stick to that one line and I wanted to be more descriptive, that inherently pushed me towards more granular commits because I wasn't doing granular commits. The other point, which is something I learned the hard way, which is I lumped all this crap into this commit and I need to pull something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which the tools help you. You can do, you can do um, merge, you can do diff merges between the two and selectively pull back stuff, which is great, um, which is great. It exists. Um, but yeah, that was just too painful to, to manage. Uh, I sometimes wonder if I have too many commits now. Um, I don't think I don't think that's a problem. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, but I, that that alone, just trying to come up with a better commit message helped. I do try to because we don't have any kind of ticketing system right now, so there's no number I'm trying to tie back something to. Mm -hmm. But I will try that to Sonic card ID. <laughs> is there an ID on there? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I don't know where you get it other than in the URL, but it's there. Oh, maybe I should. They're super long, though. Oh, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, maybe I'll put it at the end. It would take your whole commit line, the first line. <laughs> <laughs> Just dump the URL. Um, I do try to do things like fix or bug or something as kind of like the first word. And I'll do like fix dot or sometimes I'll do fix colon. I'm not really consistent. Um, but I do try to try to identify where I do fixes. Um, but I'm very selective about what I call a fix. Because I don't want someone looking at it and going, oh, we had this bug and I had to fix it. No, this technically was a change. The client says it's a bug, but it was a change. They, the requirements change. So I'm pretty, I, you don't see it everywhere where there's technically a fix, but it's, it's a fix. And I don't know if that's good or bad, um, but that's what I do. There's, the other point that this brought up that we haven't talked about yet is um, when do you commit? Uh, so this gets into the topic of do you commit after all your code's been tested and validated? Is it working code? Generally, yes. Um, and then in the yeah. Salesforce world, does working code meaning you have unit tests that pass or that you just have working code? Mm. Compilable code. I mean, this gets, it really gets deeper into the question of like, how, do, how are you testing? I don't think, I mean, especially on a project, especially on a project where there's other people involved, I would not want to commit anything in that wasn't working and had, and, and had tests. See, the I, test should accompany the code. Otherwise, it's just not, it's not done. Like, and don't, this is also, <laughs> everything I'm saying here that people can come up with things to counter, to argue, mm -hmm. but in general, like don't push in a commit that's not, that's not done. And I don't mean to say an entire feature has to be done, but like, say, you, let's say there's some big feature, a big module that, you know, your team's working on. Like you can, you can push up a commit. That's just a piece of that feature getting done, mm -hmm. but it needs to be. It needs to be associated, and it needs to include the tests for that for that part. And if you haven't built enough that you can even test anything yet, then just don't commit it. See, I commit it. <laughs> no, just don't. And it, I'll, I'll give you or my reason. Commit it and don't push it. And well, then once you get some more commits, then then squash them down and come and push that up. I don't, now, like, I don't like squashing, but well, that it's a useful tool, especially if you're if because a lot of people will do a lot of local development and they'll do all these really small commits. Mm -hmm. 
and they're not sure quite where they're going with it yet and they're also not sure what a good name to give it and it's not it's not done not, not done enough to share with the team yet yeah and so but you but you want that as a developer you want that kind of rollback capability or or oh, I, just, I, I you know an hour ago i had this working but now i broke something and you may want to like compare your these just few like local commits you have to see like even just like a get blame on yourself to say like, which commit or whatever uh, you you know you can use this git as you can be working 100% by yourself and git all these tools are still very valid and useful if you learn how to use them yeah so you can use that all by yourself and then at the end of the day you'd be like damn i'm done with that feature you got 12 commits you might want to squash those down to one or you might say mm, first half of those was clearly i was working on like part a of this feature second half i was clearly working on part b they mm -hmm. both have tests that um that are kind of you know divisible or whatever so maybe you maybe decide to put that in the two commits you can do that too that's fine yeah but yeah that you working like that i think is a very valid way to work as long as you you know again once you commit it and push it up first of all like everyone else is going to get it you can't you know once you push it to a shared branch then basically that's what everyone's going to get and that's what everyone's gonna have to rebase off of and everything so and it needs to work because everyone else is trying to get work done too and if you push up some busted ass code that doesn't have tests then people are gonna be mad at you <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's how I mitigate that is I'll, I've started to, wasn't historical, but I have started to, when I'm working on a feature, branch off dev for my feature so that I can do my as many commits as I want. And I do push that up to, to GitHub, that my, my, my branch. It's, but it's your private, it's like a private branch. It's like, and, and, if, and if I was like, pull down your private branch on GitHub. Yeah, don't pull my privates. Then, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> then, then that's my bad. I mean, I'm, I know I should know I'm in danger zone. Like, I, yeah, because you might say one reason a lot of people do that. They'll, they'll push up because like, let's say you want me to look at something, but you don't want to push it to one of our blessed branches. So you're like, oh, I'll just push it up to like John's crap. Right. And so I pull down John's crap, obviously knowing that if I do any work based on top of that branch. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm in danger of doing work on commits that will never make it in because you might rebase all over those things. Yeah. Which sounds gross. Uh, yeah. I <laughs> don't. I don't. I don't pull. I don't pull my own private. I don't pull on my own private. Um, why am I doing this to myself? I, I don't know. <laughs> this, I'm trying no, to be funny here. I know. <laughs> um. So yeah. So yeah. That that's there's there's definitely valid reasons to push the stuff up to like danger branches. Like danger meaning, hey, if you if anyone, I want to push this up to share or whatever. But like, don't don't base your work on this yeah. because these commits may go away. But it also means you have to be diligent about deleting those those branches once you, you you're done. Yeah, clean stuff up, and you get them into the to the main yeah. or the or the, even just the the shared repo is to go ahead and delete them. It sucks when you're looking at a when you're you know GitHub and you come across a project or you're on project something you're working on and you pull down that list of branches and it's just like scroll, 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 scroll. I'm like, yeah. oh, can, can we clean up the branches, please, guys? Come yeah. on. Yeah, I don't really like to have have too many branches out there. Uh, of course, it's just me, and this is me pretty much as a solo developer just trying to to come up with ways to manage things better or to put myself in a position where I, I can be successful or that someone can come in. Uh, my other reason for always for not waiting until I've done all my testing and everything is working, at least on a on a on my private branch, is that I, I always worry about the getting hit by the bus or my computer just crapping out on yeah, me. Yeah. And if I have all of this stuff on my local commit, that's fine. But now if something happens, no one else has access to that and right. that's all gone. Yep. So I do do a fair amount of, you know, I'll work half the day and right before I break for lunch, I'll see if I'm at a point where I can push a bunch of stuff up. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, I'll do the same thing. I'll look to see if there's some things I can push up and just do my commits, my due diligence. And you also, just another tip, um, 
you don't have to necessarily push to a branch in the shared repository. Right. And I'm not. I just, just create a second, another remote called the same, just thing. called John or, or private or something and push your branches up to that. Right. I mean, it, I just, I just make it, I just make it match. We all, we all so have, if I pull my, I don't know, enhance opportunities branch off the of dev and that's what I'm working on that feature, I'll push to a remote that's an opportunity enhancement so that it matches a, a separate. No, I, I'm, what I mean is, uh, yeah, a separate, a different repository altogether. Oh, like I just that's, have my, that's I have under your, that's repo. under yeah yeah that's yeah. under John's GitHub or whatever. I think if we were larger, that that would make sense. For, yeah. for right now, it's just me, so okay. I'll just yeah. carve out my feature branches and do the work, and I'll have a remote, a matching remote, and then once that's done, I'll merge into Dev and then I'll commit. Yeah, or I'll delete those branches. I just want to clarify that when you say a matching remote, it's your remote's the same. Like it's you're pushing your this feature branch you have. It's in the same repository. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I just, it's just a different I just, branch, right? Yeah, it's just a different branch. Okay. I just I got confused by your terminology of saying having a John branch. I was talking about having a John remote, literally a different repository, right. either yeah. either in our our same company account or in or in like your private GitHub account. Like again, but and, and that's fine, and I get what you're saying there. It just defeats the purpose of why I do those yeah. premature. I guess the danger there too is like because I don't even know what our policy would be on this. Like, do we allow? I don't think we. Pro- I don't think it's probably a good idea to push the company code to your to like your your john no I private know, account I know, you know what i mean have a policy because he told me do we what is the policy um because i had one time mentioned that i had like a my own little playground where i wrote a bunch of code um that does eventually make it into our products because they're like things like oh i i nerded out on some oh, rule engine that's just legal that legal, nerded, legal stuff there yeah and so it's what ID. we na- what we have now is we have uh what did i call it it's a pr- professor repo professor <laughs> yeah the, the repo's called professor okay and that's my lab gotcha okay no that's yeah it's it's there has to be a clear like um owner ownership i guess it's just a legal yeah. thing um, yeah it's, it's there you have access to it whoever has access to our to our it's a private to our org yep but that's just where that's where i put all my experimental stuff cool so all right john well, that was a it's good to catch up with you man yeah we have to wrap this up quickly i have a call you have a call? Okay, cool. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, you can always hit us up on our email, which is at info at gooddayserpodcast.com. Uh, questions, you can do questions there or show topics. If you want us to ask, or answer a question on the show, we can do that. You can send us sticker requests, um, feedback, whatever. Um, we have a Slack, speaking of Slack. And boy, I guess we picked the right platform when we chose Slack, huh? since it's now, it's now part of the Ohana. Yeah, no. But uh, our Slack, if you're not in it, you should join. Go to gooddayserpodcast.com and click on community. Actually, I think you have to go to www. I think this is probably, you know, God, think of how many more thousands of community members we can have. They could just find our damn website. www.gooddayserpodcast.com. Click on community. and uh, review that. You know, <laughs> some, some DNS thing, I'm sure. There is a healthy community being built up around functions so if you're true, new yeah. to functions and you want to see what other people are doing or ask questions it seems to be a good place to go to yes yeah, quite a bit of discussion there so i will have to join that group too you're not in it no i'm in the group i just okay. mean i i haven't i haven't fired up oh. a, a, a function you haven't been participating i haven't either have not. apparently it's really easy in fact um scott uh shared some uh like a, a video he did or something, but it's you know, it's basically, and not, you know, I'm sure the context is illuminated cloud. But I don't think you, I think you can do this in anywhere, but he just showed how easy it is to 
uh, to start using. You don't even think you have to have an org necessarily. It's weird, um, but you can start. You can use functions um, somehow or another. Yeah, I think you're setting up containers easily. and stuff like that yeah. for local development. Okay. So, but yeah, it sounds like it's pretty easy to start. And I haven't messed with it yet, but um, it's cool. I mean, that's definitely one of the kind of promising new things. Pricing is a little disappointing. We didn't talk about that, did we? Um, yeah. I was kind of. I, I don't think. I was kind of nervous about talking about pricing because I don't, yeah, I don't just, know that it's set in stone and it seems like something it, it that is negotiable. It may be. So. Um, there's basically there's no free tier and you got to you got to buy, you know, $25,000 a year minimum to get started. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah, um, I don't have that not, it's not that's not very cloud like considering this is supposed to be like a cloud slash elastic feature, you know. Yeah, but it's a new technology and Salesforce does tend to throttle by price. So. That's how you tell you that that's how they tell you they really don't want a lot of people using it right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then the price comes down or they introduce a free tier and that's how that's that's when they're letting you know that, okay, we actually want more people to start using this. Yeah, but we need those risk takers. We need those. We those do. Uh, oh, they'll be out there. They're out there, I'm sure. Those guys just to shake the tree and see what falls out. That's what Chuck's for. Chuck's going to. I'm sure he's all over this. I was chatting with him the other day. So I feel like uh, this is one of those things because he does all that on, you know, tons of on-platform integration with uh, Valence. Oh, yeah. It'd probably be perfect for him. It, right? Exactly. I mean, think of all these just, he was talking about, you know, just the things you can't do on Salesforce. Um, FTP and just like, lo- you know, like streaming through like a one gig CSV file or XML file. I mean, it's just, it's, you're not going to do it on the platform. So right. it's great to have that escape hatch when yeah. you need it. So I'm sure he'll be I don't know yet. if it's packageable yet, though, but. At, that's, it's, it's probably, I don't think it's it, definitely I mean, going to solve that, but yeah. yeah. And maybe there's a way, I don't know, like where, th- I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, that's something that they're going to have to solve. Yeah. I think they punted on that. I think I don't think it's packageable yet. It might not need to be. You might be able to just make it a professional service of your app and then just say, okay, get the licenses. We'll set up your function environment. That's what I was thinking, too. I don't know yeah. if that's possible, but I'm sure we'll find out soon. Yeah. In the uh, functions channel, in the Good Day Sir Slack. Yeah. All right, John. It's good to see you, man. Yeah. We'll try to do this again soon. We should. We should try that on a weekly basis, perhaps. Oh. <laughs> Let's. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.